Welcome to another episode of High Output AI, where Elliot and Tom discuss all the tools and techniques that make AI happen. Turns out this does not make much noise. My cranberry juice. Cranberry juice. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's like low sugar cranberry juice. Got ten calories. It's cranberry and pineapple. Ocean spray. Ocean a, spray. You remember that dude who, who was on, tic, on TikTok who was like uh, riding on his longboard and yeah, yeah. drinking ocean spray? Yeah, I just, I just really desire to be that guy. Apparently. Well, an ocean spray a day keeps the doctor away. Is the uh, that's their motto, right? That's what I've been told. Yeah. Quick, let's get out of this hole before we spend too long in it. Welcome yeah. back to another episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome Hello. to all the new subscribers, all the old subscribers, and everyone that isn't a subscriber yet, but will soon be a subscriber because you're going to press that button. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I recommend you could go with about 10 to 20 percent more volume i can hear you but it's not as crispy as usual okay you 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 intro the show and i'll deal with my volumes yeah very good very good well yes look everybody welcome back episode 27 uh looking at the calendar we might squeeze one more in this year but uh yeah we'll do the roundup there you go we'll do a cheeky roundup uh but Thank you to everybody who's stuck with us throughout the year. 27 episodes in. It's been a good time. And um, we look forward to 2023 having lots of good stuff in it as well. Uh, wherever you're listening, thank you for listening. Let your friends know. Subscribe if you're on YouTube. Uh, and we do have a Discord if you would like to chat to us. Uh, and Twitter exists, although I'm less and less keen on Twitter by the day. Uh, I technically have an account on Mastodon too, but... Uh, I've not posted anything since April, so uh, I don't know. You can reach us if you want to reach us. but uh, Didn't it just get blocked as well by Twitter? Yeah, it did. It did get blocked by Twitter, funnily enough. Thank you, Elon's a bit, uh, bit scared of the old Mastodon. Yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you. Well, keep going because I can't find my little, my little microphone setting quickly. <laughs> Very good. So... Um, Look, this week we've got a bunch of different things. Obviously, GPT chat remains a hot topic. Uh, we will touch on that a little bit, but try and cover a few more things uh, so that we're not just talking about chat GPT for the rest of our lives. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, we, I think we'll be talking about our. Uh, we're going to split the show up into two things. A little bit of news that is not chat GPT, and because it's basically impossible to find anything in the news in AI and machine learning at the moment that doesn't involve chat GPT. We thought we'd do a little bit of a, uh, little bit of an overview of what's, what's starting to appear out of the dust as chat GPT settles. And some of the trends that are coming through um, that people are talking about a couple of myths as well, that we're probably a bit more skeptical on, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the flow for today's show. So we'll get into it, but we've already talked about what you're drinking now for my turn. Yeah. Same as last week, Wayward Brewing Co. India Pale India Pale Ale, hoppy and well balanced West Coast IPA, brewed for adventure. And today is going to be an adventure. Lovely, I do like those. Uh, yeah, they're good. Those cheeky little beers, but uh, I'm going out for a couple of beers later, so I thought I would stick to the juice uh, for this episode, <laughs> and I'll catch up, I'm sure, on beers later on. So. I mean, mate, let's get stuck right into it. So okay. the first non-chat GPT topic for today, <laughs> uh, Meta, who we uh, slagged on last episode for just being trash at AI, uh, released uh, Data 2 Vec 2.0. Don't worry, we have a section to slag on Meta a little bit more later on as well, so that's all good. Yes. No, very good. So, um, you know, look, to give this a quick rundown, what this is is it's sort of a translation layer i suppose for lack of the lack of a better word between uh images text and speech in this case into a vector which is what vec stands for in this and and what that means is you take a complex thing like you know 30 seconds of speech or a picture of a dog or a sentence and you encode it in something that is more condensed uh, and more suitable for ai models 
And, you know, historically there was word to vec which was a word encoding model. Uh, and there's been, a, there's been a bunch of these over the years. Um, but the idea here is to ship something that's pre-trained on a lot of different data. So you can effectively take images, let's say images from your smartphone, encode them down into a much smaller representation. You know, it might be a thousand numbers rather than, you know, 20 megapixels. Uh, and use that as the basis of your AI model, so your classification or... Uh, whatever else. Yeah, so it's been an interesting interesting development by Meta, hasn't it? And uh, my understanding, it, it works through a technique called masking, and this is where it gets its speed efficiency, correct? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the big thing about a lot of these encoding models is that you want to be able to use just huge amounts of data because, the, theoretically, the more data they see, the more robust they are to whatever you're going to run up against in the real world. And to do that, uh, we use this masking technique, which is a, a form of unsupervised learning, uh, which means that we can use pretty much any text or image or speech that we find. And the way it works is you say, we use a picture as an example. Uh, imagine you've got a picture of two guys doing a podcast. Uh, what it does is it will block out random parts of that image. It'll then encode that blocked out version of the image encode the original image uh, and try and ensure that that encoding uh, is as similar in the blocked out and the unblocked out version as possible. Uh, and what that leads to is encoding methods that are sort of robust to missing parts of the image. Uh, and the good thing about that is you don't need to know anything about what's in the image. You don't have to have captions for the image or anything else because you can take any old image and randomly block out sections of the image. So that means you can reuse the same image multiple times with different sections blocked out. Uh, and it means you can get very raw data and use it to train a model that can then be used to train more, I guess, application-specific AI in the future. So the main benefit of this to me seems that, that, well, there's two kind of things. One is that it's, as you said, this translation layer across the three different modalities as, of vision, text, and speech, and obviously how those interact. But the main benefit uh, seems to be on a training efficiency point of view and a speed up on how to get something up to equivalent mm. levels of accuracy very quickly. They're citing a 16x improvement in vision and, a, and all the way down to a 2x improvement in text and speech is somewhere in the middle there. Um, now, does this speed up come from the fact from masking where you actually just physically have to encode less data? No, so what, what they're talking about here is that if you were, let's say, we'll use the vision example again. Let's say you're building a, an image classification model. Now, mm. traditionally, what you do is you get a whole bunch of images that have labels about what's in them, uh, and you train a classification model on that data. What this allows you to do is you can sort of shortcut a bit of that process by taking one of these pre-trained data-to-vec models, encoding all your images via that model, and then training them as you traditionally would. So you go vector to whatever the label is. And the idea here is that with less data, which is where the, the training speed up comes from, you can get the same level of accuracy because we've trained okay. this sort of very generic, robust front end for a lot of these models. Oh, so the benefit is speed up, but in the form of less data required rather than Oh, and, that, and that's also a le less time to training as well. So it's not only is it less time to training, so less GPU time, it's also less physical data required as well. Yeah. And, you know, because you're taking a very complex image, let's say, and, and turning it into a much smaller representation, you can typically fit more images in their encoded form in one batch. So you can stuff more of those on one GPU which means that it takes less sort of batches within the GPU to get your full training set through uh, for one iteration or one epoch. So you get a bit of a speed up from that as well because you're not calculating the gradients all the way back through this sort of early part of the model. One, uh, one question I had is it talks a lot about contextual representation and target, targeted representation throughout it. So the idea of the word mouse, for example, can mean something different depending on whether you're talking about a computer or whether you're talking about the little rodent from Ratatouille. Um, except mm. that's a rat, ignore me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll edit that bit out. Um, and so 
with this idea of contextual representation, how does that like relate to transformer uh, transformers and the like and the tech around transformers? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of parallels there. So you know, attention mechanisms, uh, which are sort of at the core of transformers, will be front and center in this model as well. Yeah. And so you know, to I guess give people the bit of the history of it, the original word to vec would literally encode each word in a sentence individually and try and come up with a vector that represented that word. Now, it wouldn't know, you know, whether that word was, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't have any good examples here. Bank uh, bank was a good one, like bank of a river or a financial institution. Exactly, exactly. So that same word really can have different representations based on its context. Uh, and so with a more attention-driven encoding, we can say, all right, you're not just looking at the word bank, but you're looking at, you know, the erosion of the bank is probably not talking about a financial institution, uh, but, you know, erosion of trust in the bank is probably not talking about the side of a river. So um, pretty similar sentences and without that extra context, you know, it could all be mixed up. Mm. So the, the question that I had, the ultimate question here that is that like, this all sounds really good, faster training times, less data required, et cetera. But do you do you see that? How does how does this compare to the big models coming out of OpenAI and stability and in in any way? Because they kind of steered away from making any comparison, and that might be because it's an incorrect comparison. But ultimately, what does this mean for, I'll say the uh, the AI community? Yeah. So I mean, most of these models, let's say Stable Diffusion as an example, it has an image to latent space or vector encoding step very early in the process that it trained through its data set. Uh, similarly with the text embedding for the sort of clip encodings, which is the contrastive text image encodings. Um, so the, these kind of models already exist. Um, they're often sort of baked into a lot of the large models that exist today. There'll be something similar in, in GPT that sort of takes the string of tokens and turns that into an internal representation. So, you know, I... I think it would be unfair to compare this to a larger, more complex model that's actually doing something. What this gives you is sort of a pretty good sensible default for taking smaller data sets, you know, because we don't have the time to train 5 billion images uh, and using them to very quickly get quite an accurate, narrow AI in, in some other use case. Okay. Okay. So... This will probably help with the world of, as we carve out different verticals and build models on top of other models and bumping up, uh, reducing data requirements and, and, and or speeding up training time for these, for these verticals. Yeah, yeah. And look, theoretically, you probably could build a stable diffusion-esque model using data to vec as the encoding step at the beginning and then working totally with these vectors uh, and build a, yeah, diffusion-like model in the vector space rather than in the image or the text space. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. It's good that Meta, Meta got some good news in this space because uh, our next topic is less good news for them in the space. Yes. <laughs> and after their uh, their uh, Galactica disaster, which we talked about on last week's episode, um, where they pulled it after three days of usage, they've, uh, they need a win in the space at the moment. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Um, Anything to add on there, mate, that, we've, uh, that you wanted to cover? No, no. I mean, look, I think it is cool. I think it's useful. I'm sure it'll get picked up by a lot of models. It's not groundbreaking AI work. It's like we had a bunch of time and a bunch of data and we trained some useful resources for you guys to make use of. So look, while it's helpful and if you're doing some AI work, it might help you out. It's not as fundamental a shift as uh, some of the other work we've seen come out recently. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to the second topic, which is about, and we'll stay in the meta, the metaverse here. Uh, John Carmack, who was CTO of the Oculus Group uh, or, or virtual reality, came with mm -hmm. Oculus when it was purchased uh, a few years back, has left Meta to go full time on his AGI startup. So uh, John Carmack seems to be a bit of a legend around the area. He's uh, seems to be very, very well respected, very well connected, and has uh, had multiple multiple home runs when it comes to company. And he's now gone out on his own mm. uh, to start Keen Technologies and focus on AGI. 
this will be a bit of a blow for Meta as he was quite an influential person, quite a good hire on their on their regard, and he's been pretty critical of Meta during his leaving as well, citing the reason for leaving as basically uh, he was sick of be working in an inefficient, slow uh, company. Yeah, I got the feeling that I mean, yeah, as you say, like he is he is an industry veteran, you know, background in game development, um, you know, a Quake lot of, series, right? Quake, yeah, yeah. Um, so like he is. He is definitely one of the, you know, the sages of the uh, the programming world. And I think, you know, from looking at some of the conversation uh, that he had, and th- this isn't new, he's been pretty frustrated for a while that, yeah. you know, there's he has some strong recommendations about directions that Meta should take uh, and they mostly get ignored. And, you know, people cite a lot of different reasons. Some of it is that the culture there is too positive in that they're just not open to criticism. Um, and others is that, you know, they, they hop too quickly onto to trends and trying to build hype rather than invest in, I guess, some more of the fundamentals. So, mm. look, it's a shame for Meta. It, he was probably sort of one foot out the door anyway. I remember listening to yeah. his conversation with Lex Friedman um, and it sounded a little bit like he was already pretty dissatisfied. Yeah, he's uh, been be consulting. He's been consulting yeah. as CTO for the last year and he raised $20 million for Keen back in August. So, like... You can't, well, you can't really see those sides and not expect him to be leaving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, look, we'll see where he goes with Keen. Obviously, AGI is uh, it's a big, hairy, audacious mm-hmm. goal if there ever was one. Um, it'll be interesting to see what strides he makes and, I guess, what angle he takes to try and uh, to try and tackle some of this. Yeah, and I've been trying to find what Keen Technologies does and what he's trying to do because he's managed to raise twenty million from like the gods, the the Olympians of uh, of Silicon Valley. It's like Stripe, Stripe CEOs are in it. Patrick and uh, I've forgotten Patrick's brother's name. The Collison brothers, Toby from Shopify. So I think Mark Andreessen personally, like it's just like the absolute star-studded list of investors. Um, and he's raised 20 million bucks to work on AGI and I can't find a single thing. So nice hairy question to cite you off here, mate. If I gave you 20 million bucks to start working on AGI, what would you be doing first? Uh, I mean, that is such a tough question because like obviously $20 million is a lot of money. But, but at it's the same also time, nothing. <laughs> $20 million is not a lot of money. Like we've talked about Tesla. We've talked about yeah. stability. Think about how much money they're spending on like GPUs and things. Yeah. What I reckon he's likely doing is pulling together some top tier research and running it like a research lab more than focusing on training models and things mm. in, the, in the initial instance. Because I think the barriers that we have towards AGI really rest on needing some fundamental research to happen as opposed to, uh, you know, just throw more GPUs at existing problems. I saw something like a comment on that, on this for Hacker News this week, which was like, yeah, we basically know what AGI looks like. We just need more compute and more money flowing into the space. And everyone just like destroyed that person. (laughs) It's like Transformers doesn't equal AGI, bro, was my favorite favorite comment. And and to be fair, like there are some pretty well-informed people in the space who have similar opinions. Um, But I think they're overly optimistic about the limits at which we can push like just bigger Transformers with more data. Sure, we can do some good stuff as we've seen, but it's not sentience. It's just really excellent mimicry. Yep. Statistical, fantastic statistical nonsense or whatever someone said about Galactica. Stochastic parrots is my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, We should get little, uh, little, uh, what do you call it? Screens, screen backgrounds with parrots on our shoulders. Ah, yes. Pirates. Yeah. Yeah, Well, uh, that's all we're going to be covering in non-GPT news this week. Both, so we just went to Meta. And we're, what are we in? We're like three minutes into the show. Uh, so today, instead of just talking about ChatGPT and finding some article that says ChatGPT is going to change the industry forever on some on X, I thought let's yeah. talk about let's pick some trends that seemed or some some trends or some common things that people are saying that keep appearing in the news uh, as the dust settles and kind of mm-hmm. ch- chat about those in. Uh, yeah, uh, chat about those. So, like the ones that I came up with, and we can we'll probably make up a few hot takes on the fly. But 
Um, the big one I wanted to talk about is how everyone keeps talking about this being the iPhone moment um, for AI. Um, so that's the first one. Second one that I wanted to chat to is like, I've seen about 40 articles this week, which talk about the future of industry X or profession X and how it's going to radically change. And just a little bit of like discussion around that. The next big one that I keep coming across is that Google is dead. Search is fundamentally changing again as well. Yeah. Uh, fourth one, which is my own, uh, which is my own thinking. So uh, yeah, not everyone's talking about this one, but uh, it's just the idea of verticalization of AI and how the real winner of this chat GPT thing is Azure at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and then if we get time, uh, we this one's a bit more of a throwaway. The fifth one I came up with was everything to everything based content. So, you know, text to speech and speech to text and, or text and speech to speech or text. So, but yeah, and the, we'll jump into those probably won't get all through all of them, but that's kind of going to guide the next part of the conversation and uh, we'll probably come up with a few hot takes through. So let's jump into the iPhone moment and I'll open this section with a little, little description of what Sam Altman, who is CEO and co-founder of, well, co-founder slash founder of OpenAI believes, and he believes that the future of models will be trained on models. So companies will appear in different verticals using specific data from that vertical to improve the local context for those models. But those models were originally trained and based on previous models. Now, the idea is that 2022 may be this moment where the base models have been built. And the next wave of tech unicorns, the next wave of companies, the next wave of models are going to be built on top of this. So we have the base layer. And the analogy there, which we talked about a little last week, is that this is the equivalent to the iPhone one being created. And in the next three to five years, about the time when iPhone five is out or DALI five is out and GPT six is out, we're going to be in a world where companies like Uber, companies like Twitter, sorry, companies like Instagram, companies like, uh, what was my other one? Companies like TikTok can start to exist, right? where they're mobile first and everyone in the world has the infrastructure. We now have the infrastructure to be able to deliver these new types of businesses that were fundamentally impossible five to 10 years before. And so a lot of people are likening this moment. And the reason is, is because we now have image generation and text generation and a lot of speech. Uh, we got the base level of models in image, text and speech. And so, the question that I wanted to chat about today is what do you think this moment? And by this moment, I mean the last six months, because this all seems to have been like crazily happened in the last six months. I know GPT-3 came out in last year, but what do you think this six months is equivalent to, to you? Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking about this a bit and, you know, I thought about some more once I saw this in the, the topics for today is that like, I kind of believe this, but I take it with a pinch of salt, especially because I find that most of the people saying this are the ones building companies that will allegedly be the foundation of all the future AI. Like it seems yeah. very nice for Sam if this is true because, hey, OpenAI will be that platform. I'm yeah. not yet convinced that like the – like I, you know, taking the, the iPhone analogy, we are – we are in the early stages. iOS one was kind of trash and you could write, I mean, in the first versions of iOS, other people couldn't even make apps. It was just Apple showing off what they could make. But let's just pretend we're the first one that has an app store. A lot of that was shit. Like it was just garbage stuff. It was like fart apps and pretend to drink the beer apps and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, the way that we got past that is not just that people got better at writing apps. It's that the technology underneath it continued to evolve, continued to develop. Android came in and forced Apple to be a bit more competitive, all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think... We got 3G. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, none of this stuff happens in, in isolation or in a vacuum. And I think very similarly, like, I don't know. We're, we're not at the point where, like, you know, nobody will write programs anymore. They'll just talk to AI or yeah. every future startup will be built on top of one of OpenAI's, you know, wonderfully priced models. But at the same time, like I do think we are going to see a wave of businesses come out uh, and we'll likely see some cool new ideas and some cool new ways to interact with technology that will persist. 
Mm. Uh, whether they persist only on an open AI generated model or, or more broadly, I don't know. Um, but that's kind of where I think we are in this. We're, we're getting used to different user experiences using this technology the same way we got used to touch screens. I think, you know, to me, touch screens was the big thing on mobile. Like the, the interface changed to enable touch as a primary mechanism of, of interacting with computers more than really anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, you had laptops for a long time. They were portable enough. You could do things on them. But I think touch is the big thing that came out of the iPhone. Whatever this next sort of UX change will be, we'll probably see it in the next six months. We might not know that it's going to be the one that sticks around. Um, you know, it might be having conversations with computers rather than running programs. We yeah. sort of do a bit of back and forth. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The whispers are in the wind. We're not sure which one will be the, which one will be the one that we're using in 10 years time, but it's probably going to be there in the next six months. I heard yeah. this, I heard this by Benedict Evans. who's like a kind of tech commentator. He, 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 was pretty skeptical about the iPhone moment, but he was very happy to say that he believes that the last couple of months has been as significant in development as AI has, as, as the advent of like from the GAN, from the GAN paper and also with Transformers. He's like, the last few months has been as significant as that because we went from a world where like machine learning was really frigging hard. And then suddenly we were able to do a lot more machine learning in a lot of different places because of the, the yeah. GAN, the GAN, like, and it started around the GAN paper and it started and then Transformers came out as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, a lot of that, you know, Transformers themselves have been out for a number of years. I think, again, the big shift that we've seen is one of user experience. The expectation now is that if you release a cool model that has consumer-facing yeah. potential, you release a demo and let people play with it. Yeah. Because now if you don't, you're like, oh, fucking who cares? There's enough AI that it doesn't matter. So now the, the yeah. goalposts have shifted on like what counts as a release, yeah. uh, which I think is a good thing. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people writing papers in the past that's like, oh, we got it to work on these like 50 test images. I don't know if it would work more generally. Who cares? Let's just publish the paper anyway. Whereas now you are at the scrutiny of millions you know, of the people. internet which is a bloody hard critic to please. Yeah. What I, what I find crazy is that like, you will not have a successful model launch if you don't achieve social media, like growth rates in the first few days. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, if, exactly. If you don't get 2 million users, like open uh, chat GPT is now set the bar of like, can you get a million users in day one and another million the following day? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's good for the large players. It's going to make it harder for some of the smaller players. Uh, and especially like research labs and things, there is a chance that legitimately good research will sort of go unnoticed because there's no demo or like it's just not possible to make a useful demo. Mm. Um, but hopefully it also encourages another generation of tools like Gradio, which is like, you know, very quick user in- interfaces for AI models. And we'll we'll sort of start to see a little bit more plug and play in the ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, Harking back to something like data to vec, if Facebook releases data to vec as well as a bunch of user interface type tools to like ingest images and spit vectors out the other side that can then be sent off to some external service, that could go a long way to creating really accessible tools to then build the next generation of user experiences for somebody who's just made a new model but doesn't have the resources of open AI to build a full chat portal mm. online that can be serving a million people in one hit. And what are your questions for like a place like OpenAI or like Sam, Sam Altman specifically around like, does he believe that he's built the the base layer models? Like, Yeah. I, I mean, I think I can confidently say that like he believes it in as much as like any founder believes that they are going to be the ultimate successor. Like I'm sure he knows in the back of his mind that he might not succeed and other people might come in and succeed first. I think where they're headed definitely could be there. Uh, I would be surprised if he thought they were there already. Mm. Um, But I think the interesting thing to watch and and the question I would have for him is like, what does 2023 look like? Because we've had some big bangs here with ChatGPT and DALI2. But 
Dali 2.1 or 2.2 or 2.3, if they're incremental changes or even chat GPT, which again, I think its success comes from a user experience change, not a model change. Unless we can keep putting out big bangs like that, opening, eventually it's going to be like, okay, chat GPT got an update. It's like 20% better. Yeah. It was already fine. I don't really need it to be 20% better and it'll get less exciting. And they might be digging their own grave a little bit and that like they're setting the bar so high that everything they do now has to be explosively yeah. good. And if you release, you know, data to VEC, people will be like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I, I'll i say I've been trying to find the paper, but I heard on a podcast about a paper, so like not fact-checked it, but it was on the like, how much data do we actually have left for these models? So like GPT-4, right? As you're mm. saying, the pressure on GPT-4 now is just like stepped up a notch. They have to produce a model that is, it's got to be almost perfect, right? Like the only the only place from here is like perfection for GPT-4. But we're within an order of magnitude of being done with data in, mm. in certain areas. Like we're running out of books for AI to ingest and be trained on. Obviously, we're in a world where we can like start to create our own and we've got different techniques, just such as we talked about with data to VEC, for example, for making your data more efficient. But like, yeah, if we're, yeah. If we're running out of data and the pressure and the, if we're, we're going to be running into bottlenecks very quickly in certain areas, in different areas, um, whether that's like the parameter size, the training size or the like compute size of the models, uh, the amount of compute required for the models plus the stakes is getting higher. Mm. Are we going to see 2023 as a for open AI to not be nearly as successful for them as 2022? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think there is a risk there. I don't know where it'll end up. Um, you know, if, if, and there's a lot of smart people there, so I'm sure they're thinking about this as well. Yeah. But you know, something like chat GPT is really interesting because it's collecting new data as it goes. It's looking at what people ask. I'm sure there's signal in when people end the conversation or drastically change track or ask it to clarify and things like that, that can be mm -hmm. fed into the next version of this model. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like we are going to hit diminishing returns and for most people, that's going to start to get boring. And I still think we're in a zone where like there's a lot of, um, you know, very specialist areas that this is just not up to scratch yet. And like being 90% or 92% still doesn't cross the barrier of how good it needs to be to be generally accepted. Um, yep. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they try and tackle that. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think the one thing that we just keep commit, uh, like forgetting in, I suppose like my general aversion to hearing things like, google is dead at the moment is that like if you look back a year like if we were speaking now in 20 on the 18th of december 2021 like we we wouldn't we wouldn't know what we'd be talking about in a year's time in t at the end of 2022 and like what was available mm. like it's just been so much has happened so quickly this year and so when people say things like google is dead and we'll get to that it's like yeah, but like we don't know what Google's just gonna rip out tomorrow and just like shoot the lights out with. Like the the space is moving quickly, full stop. So that could work to open AI's advantage or it could work against them as well as linking back to this being the iPhone moment. Um, because someone could come up tomorrow with the GPT competitor. Like stability came out of nowhere, really. Like Yeah, well it's it's one of those things where like they bubble around for a long time. I mean, we gotta remember GPT three came out in twenty twenty. Yeah. So it's been out. Yeah, yeah. It's been out for a long time. And I remember people saying Google was dead when it first came out and Google is still not dead. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, given Microsoft's uh, strong incentives, Bing still sucks. <laughs> like, clearly there's a lot of work to be doing here. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, any of these conversations about XYZ yeah. is dead, that's the end of an industry, creatives are going to be out of jobs, yeah. like, no, yeah, I, I, it's just not true. As as someone said, I can pick up the same photographer, uh, same camera as photographer X, but that does not make me photographer X. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There, there's so much difference. And people will pretty quickly learn. The, the taste will evolve. You know, I remember, I remember when I was a kid, right, and I, I got a Nintendo 64 and I looked at that and I was like, holy shit, we've done it. I we've am in Nirvana. Graphics. <laughs> For the rest of time, it's, you know, Super Mario, it yeah. does not get any better than this. Uh, now you get, now we've got 8K, baby. <laughs> yeah, now we've got 8K and people are complaining that, like, you know, the hair on the, you know, back of the rat that scurries around in the background doesn't move with correct physics. Like, <laughs> we just, I don't know, humans are pretty good at, like, adapting to the norm and then getting real pedantic about the small things that it does wrong. And I think yeah. that's going to happen here. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good transition onto topic two, which is around this idea of like search is dead, like search and how search is going to change. And we'll we'll focus around that. We've probably beaten the horse on that you and I don't think Google is dead. But I heard someone divide this problem up into if we think about how AI is going to fit, like help search. And there's kind of like two things that we're like searching for, right? We're like, we want the answer to a question. And it's like, mm. oh, what day did JFK die? Like that, that's yeah. just... That's, that's an answer to a question that we want. But then sometimes we are in search mode where it's like, I'm looking to buy something. I'm looking to stay somewhere. I'm looking to like join something. I'm looking to read something. And that obviously requires some editorial filtering and content for you. Now, where is chat GPT probably going to be good? And like, where is this place going to be good? Very good at answering questions straight away, which Google's already pretty darn good at with the little mm. drop down things as well. Search will Search will be interesting, but like, the the thing that I'll say here is that like I just don't believe that Google is just like walking around with headphones on, not listening to any of this, not working on this. Oh yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> and like all they need to do is like get five pretty smart engineers. No, sorry, I don't know the number, but like a, de- a team of very smart engineers which they have access to working on some of the biggest data sets in the world that they have access to with some of the best feedback they have in the world like the best ability to get feedback and trade and trade and label data on this in the world. Like yeah. they could move very quickly in this space. Yeah. And I also think there's like, I think the two examples you gave before of like, you know, facts from history versus yeah. I want to book an apartment in July in, you know, Vegas. That's allows me to go to the grand Canyon. Like one of those is like, it's a fact, you know, the day that Queen Elizabeth died is the day she died and that's not going to change. You can train a model that can regurgitate that information and it will always hopefully be correct. The other one requires access to data sources of up-to-date information. And to me, that's a fundamentally different problem. Like if you ask ChatGPT now, where can I book a hotel in Vegas? And then you ask it again in two years, I'm sure some of the hotels it tells you will be closed down just because that's life. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you're right. Like there will be a certain sort of like quick question answering, anything you could find on Wikipedia, um, just like little yeah. facts that you want to know. Like some, some people at work um, were asking about like, oh, what's the ISO code for this, this, and this for, you know, imports, declarations on customs. And it knows the answer to that and it'll spit it up and, and give you the numbers. And that's super helpful. Mm. Um, but you can't say like, is it going to rain next week? Yeah. Um, because it's, it's just a very different type of, of problem. And I don't think OpenAI is going to look to build a search engine in that way. Um, whereas mm. I think Google could pretty easily flip the other way. And again, you know, I don't know how many times we've said this on this podcast, but like distribution is going to win this game. And Google has the distribution advantage here by a long, yeah. long margin. Yeah. And the thing as well is that like, There's just this world, like, everyone, everyone just translates search to Google dying. Like, they're just, they're just, they're, they're a bit more resilient business than that mm. now. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. They are the hope. They, like, there might be a, a, a slight threat to them of uh, the, them being the homepage of the internet, not really, uh, may not, maybe under a slight threat, but like, my God. Yeah, Bing has been around for a long time, and the only time I've ever used Bing in the last decade is I accidentally opened Internet Explorer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't know. I think I I, I wouldn't bet against Google yeah. in this regard. Uh, to be yeah. honest, like 
yeah, I think they're all right. But one thing that's interesting that's appearing is, and you sent me this, Readwise, which is a tool that basically you used to be able to kind of like send links to and highlight things in, and mm. it would kind of like collate all your highlights, um, has released a tool that now takes your, when you send it an article, now gives you the ability to ask its AI questions about the article. I haven't played with it yet. Have you played with it? Uh, no, I only did. So it's part of the paid plan for Readwise. Yeah. So it, it was enough to get me to sign back up for another year of Readwise. So this mm. is, you know, contrasting their previous tool, which was that highlight aggregator. Yeah. This is now um, more like Pocket or Instapaper. Um, and yeah, so they've got this thing. Uh, let me find the the name they call it. Yeah, it's called Ghost Reader, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. Um, and Ghost, Writer, put... Ghost Writer is the famous tool that is now being used by writers to uh, the AI-assisted writing tool as well. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's let's run a live example here on the show. So yeah. I, I won't share my screen, but I've got that data to vec article open, yeah. uh, which will be That'll in the show all, notes. All the and show it notes. gives me a couple of example prompts, one of them being generate thought-provoking questions uh, from this article. So let's, uh, fuck let's my job it. on this podcast is done. Yeah, let's give that, uh, <laughs> Elliot, Elliot and, Re and ghost reader will be the podcast host from now on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the thought provoking questions it suggested and, it, and it's done already is, uh, what's the difference between data to vec 2.0 and other self-supervised algorithms? Oh fuck. That's better than my question. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost there. It's like, how does data to vec 2 improve efficiency compared to its predecessor? Yeah, not bad. What are the advantages of using contextualized target representations in data to vec 2.0? So pretty decent question answering, uh, which I think is very cool. Um, if you're like Tom and myself and you end up having a reading list of like, you yeah. know, 50,000 articles that you'll probably never get around to, I think this is pretty good way to like, I mean, at the article level to say like, hey, give me a summary of this, ask a couple of questions, does it cover this topic? Um, and then hopefully at the sort of aggregate level, you'll be able to surface things like, hey, which mm. of the articles that I've saved cover this topic and yeah. have that surface and ideally contextualized within the document of like, mm. oh, here's when the, where this article talks about self-supervised learning, for example. And the reason I brought this up is because you and I have been talking a little bit about it over the last couple of weeks is this idea of like, I'll just call it like local context search um, mm -hmm. and the idea of like searching for questions within a very local context. So for example, in articles you read or something like that. Yeah. And like, like imagine worlds where you could be like, hey, what would insert, like if I could upload all of our YouTube episodes and ask an AI in advance, like, what does Elliot, what would Elliot think about this would be, yeah. uh, would be, would be a very good example of that. But like very local specific search, uh, search, uh, very local context specific search. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Like imagine, cool. you know, you go to a new city for the first time and you get a bunch of the locals to like, you know, upload some stuff or you just like do an interview with them, convert it to text and fit it into a model. Yeah. And then you're like, where would a local go for pizza in this weird Italian city that I'm about to visit? Yeah. And it'd be like, uh, it'd go here. It'd avoid this place. Cause it's a tourist trap, bloody, bloody blah, blah. But like mm. straight from the mouths of, of locals all fed into this, uh, AI, I think stuff like that. Yeah. It's definitely going to be cool. And I think these will be the fun examples of, yeah, of this stuff. Um, I think this ghostwriter thing, uh, ghost reader, sorry, is, is very, very cool. Mm. I don't know how much I'll use it. Um, at this point, like I hadn't Can used we? it in, until we talked about it right now, but, uh, I'll see. Let's commit for like a month to put every article that we talk about through it and see what happens as well. Yeah. Like, okay. See what ghost, see what ghost reader says about it and, uh, bring it up in the episode. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, we might as well. Like, yeah, they are not sponsors yet either. No, um, no. But look, if Readwise pays for my annual subscription, <laughs> yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, good. Did you get? Did you do the uh, the matter? Are you still using matter? No, I kind of, I kind of went off it. Um, hmm. So, for context for listeners, this is another sort of pocket instapaper type aggregation service it started out kind of cool in that it was like a discovery service and a bit of, of a social network 
Um, but it kind of just became another Instagram, uh, Insta paper, sorry. Yeah. Uh, slash pocket clone. And I, I kind of got a bit bored of it. Mm. I mean, I'll switch to Readwise. This, this, yeah. fit, this tool looks cool, especially when they, they give us free, free uh, subscriptions. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, rest assured listeners that if we're ever sponsored or promoting stuff that we're paid to, uh, you'll know well in advance of us starting to talk about it. So yeah. as of this point, uh, you know, we have not zero dollars or zero spray cranberry juice is sponsoring <laughs> us. So we're, uh, we're all good on that front. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the future of your industry and profession, I think I've got two So. I, I work in investment in the investment space and I have a podcast and I've read two articles that say both those jobs are done. So I'm done. Well, you're and done, you work mate. in, you work in software and you mm -hmm. run a podcast. So you're done as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, That's great. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we literally just outsourced all our research work to an AI. So uh, what's left to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, surely yeah. we can get an AI to find these articles as well and do the like the really lame instagram like read over voice when it's like you know the like the robotic almost like oh that, uh, that stupid one that's like on tiktok and stuff yeah yeah, like yeah. That, yeah that voice so, drives me absolutely crazy whenever i hear it i i find it funny when people are using it as a joke well, and yeah. then when people use it real uh, in a uh, with a, in a non-joking context i yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, look, if there's an AI that can make a better fucking version of those voices, please do. It's so stupid. The other yeah. one that I hate, which is, this is a real detour for a second, is the one where people do Instagram videos where it's like a block of text and it's just them pointing at the block of text while some like stupid yeah. laugh track plays in the background. Yeah. So it's such low effort content. Yeah. Yeah. But my God, do I watch it on TikTok. <laughs> 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 I, so I, I just linger on it too long. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so let's talk about the future of industry and profession yeah. X. And this just came about because it's like a billion, like every, every part-time blogger is like written their thought piece on why their industry is done or going to change or both. Yeah. Um, and now as part-time, as part-time YouTubers slash podcasters, we're going to talk about it too. Yeah. So I literally, I, I made a list of everything I came across industries because <laughs> i thought it was funny i came across education came across animation i came across software and within software i came across devops i came across testing i came across code development i came across uh no i've forgotten that one don't know what that name means and then i came one for film filmmakers i came across gaming i came across artists i came across photographers i came across writers i came across journalists i came across podcasters so yeah, I just... Everyone's uh, done. I, yeah, allegedly. And I just... I don't know. I don't believe it. Like, yeah, a, a lot of this stuff, there's been tools and, and automations yeah. around a lot of these spaces for a long time. I think, like, if you run a two-bit, you know, education YouTube channel that kind of sucks and you don't put a lot of effort into it and you just, like, regurgitate Wikipedia articles with some stock footage, yeah, you're screwed. Uh, but... You know, if you think about the people like, you know, think about like binging with Babish, yeah. right? I mean, that dude watches TV shows. I mean, he does a lot of stuff now, but like the original premise was like, I watch movies and then yeah. make food out of the movies and do that with really high quality content. And it's funny and, yeah. you know, it's mildly educational that he's not threatened by the fact that AI exists. I don't think. No. You know, and I think it's, going to be like that with anything like yeah the bottom 20 percent of any of these fields is fucked but the bottom 20 percent of any of these fields sucked anyway yeah so that's great like we can manufacture garbage at a higher velocity i don't know if that's the end of an industry the uh the best the best example i heard of this was this is going to do what excel did for accountants which is make a lot more work for accountants <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and i mean look you know i uh I work in freight forwarding. Like uh, the the AI is not going to help dispute the time when the shipping company didn't load the container on the ship, and now somebody needs to be yelled at to get it on the ship because we need yeah. the delivery to happen. Like there's not a th there's not a threat there. Um, did you yeah. did you know that? Mm -hmm. I learned this the other day that bribes were tax deductible in France, 
up until like 1999 because they had so many like interests in Africa. And like, apparently that was like the way to like get shipping done in certain, like in certain ex French colonies in Africa. I I'd believe it. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of that stuff around the world and, you know, often in places that, uh, still is. Know, yeah. Like Qatar, like Qatar and European union this week mm. was like the alleged, the alleged anyway, detour. Yes. But we've got to keep detouring, otherwise the AI will take over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. How is the AI <laughs> going to replace a podcast where the podcasters randomly switch topics and talk about corruption <laughs> in Africa and Qatar? And French uh, tax law. And French tax law. It'll just talk about AI all day. Yeah, take that. Take that chat, GPT. Exactly. And let's be honest. Like, people listen to us for the great bands much more than they listen to us for the... Uh, very pretty up to date technical. I'm moment. pretty sure, according to our YouTube stats, people listen to us to find out what we're drinking, and then they just drop off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably it. So we just need to talk about drinking. Thirsty boys. Yes, yeah, and yeah, the AI would optimize the hell out of that signal, and it would just be a uh, <laughs> thirsty boy reviews. Yes, yes. Let's re up that. I'm sure it's been abandoned. Um, where were we? Um, losing our jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Freight, AI is not coming for freight forwarding certain parts of it anytime soon. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like the parts that it will come for are the parts that nobody wanted to be doing anyway, yeah. which is like, uh, you know, looking up import codes for certain things and writing documents to the customs agent to uh, explain the cargo yeah. and all this sort of crap. Like, yeah, people don't want to be doing that. And that's not, that's not the fundamental value. I think they're like the takeaway from me in this space over the last couple, like last few months has been like, there is a tool that's coming for your industry. That's going to be AI supported. Just like get on top on how to learn that. Like it will be important in the next five to 10 years to your job. It'll be like learning, like you don't put email on your resume and it'll, and your AI tool of choice will, will be something that you need to just know how to do. Yeah, definitely. And look, my hope is that like, we're not dumb people and we don't make AI a core skill that people need. Like there'll be new tools. Yeah, absolutely. But if the rest of the software industry uh, does their job correctly, you know, Mm. and I'll lump myself into that basket, people shouldn't really know other than for a marketing benefit that there's AI behind the scenes. Like if you have to think about models and data to VEC and all of this sort of stuff in your everyday job and you're yeah. not in software development, Elliot we have up. fundamentally failed as like product people and software people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so what, what are you seeing anything cool like being implemented day to day yet in the software space from an AI tool point of view? Like um, are you, is anyone using Copilot at work or anything like that? No, we haven't. We haven't been using Copilot at work. Um <coughs> I don't think if I don't know if that's for any particular reason. The mm. the team just doesn't doesn't use it. I don't know if they played around with it and assessed that it wasn't worth doing. Um there was some discussion on Friday about um you know the customs team using it to like ask those sort of factful questions like you know I've got a a, a steel valve that's a, a pallet of steel valves that's mm. being imported what's the ISO code for customs. Uh and it did a good job chat the chat GPT demo of actually bringing up that um the answer to that question. Like the schedule. That's cool. Yeah. 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 That stuff. Um, but again, like that's good because it's unchanging. If it was like, you know, what boats are, are leaving Shanghai into Brisbane over the next three months and what are the freight rates? Like the AI just doesn't have access to that live, yeah. live data. Uh, so it's just not going to be, not going to be useful there. Mm. Um, it's going to be pretty cool for the development space. One thing that I was reading uh, was like, especially around the testing and like debugging of code, um, like it's just gonna it's gonna take that away more and more from the developer, um, and it's gonna be like more and more live. Like mm-hmm. I think I think where we're we're probably getting ahead of ourselves here is that like probably a oh okay Ooh. you still got me on audio just lost I've video still got you on audio you okay. can see what program Tom uses to uh, yeah. connect his camera to the computer if you're watching yeah. this on video. Um, uh, again, not sponsored. <laughs> so, uh, I'll deal with that in two seconds, but what, what, um, where I think we're probably getting ahead of ourselves is this like context requirement for a lot of testing as well. Mm. And, 
it, that will be the difficulty in these in these apps and the, sorry these programs to develop context specific testing that isn't just annoying that you end up just turning it off as a developer because they're like oh my god go away yeah i agree i think where it could benefit you know like let's take testing as an example if we're writing tests and it understands testing it could start to have a conversation about like other scenarios that are worth testing have you thought about this have you thought about that which is a common sort of testing pattern is like to you know, you test the most obvious path through your software, which is, you know, sign up, add some items to your cart, go through the checkout flow and press go. It's like, oh, have you considered what happens when they fill their cart and then continue later from their mobile or fill their cart with too many things and then they have a discount code that applies for some of the items and then they remove those items from the cart and all, like all those weird edge cases. Um, yeah, there may be a, a path to that. That might be conversational it might be talking to the ai and trying to get it to come up with some additional sort of testing flows and actually generating the code for it um, we'll see how these tools develop yeah good good well my camera's cooked and i can't change it mid-recording so yeah, just <laughs> here for the rest good, of the man. show i mean that is a sign from from either the ai or uh you know, the technology yeah. boards that perhaps it's, uh, it's time to wrap up episode 27. Yeah. Well, let's well, hang on, 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 Verti hang on. You need to calm down. Um, the verticalization of AI, anything to talk about there? Uh, I think we've already, men already mentioned how like the real winner, one of the, one of the winners of chat GPT success has been the Azure, Azure platform. Mm. Um, and we talked, we touched on it a little bit last week, but how, Microsoft is just setting itself up. They could be setting themselves up to be the AI provider for cloud services. Um, and I just see this world, and this is mine, is that like this AI, AI is an industry that feels like it's set for verticalization. So owning multiple mm -hmm. parts of the value chain, a lot of it, a lot of it is big fixed costs and that is going to be the barrier to entry. Um, for a lot of these people. So yeah. a lot of this stuff that might come out is going to be by well-funded parties such as OpenAI, which had a kind of rock star set of founders yep. and has managed and people like Microsoft as well that are obviously well-funded and are able to go after certain problems. So, Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that's fine. I mean, I it reminds me of something like, say, WordPress, right? Um, and I remember a, an interview, I think it was with Tim Ferriss and Matt Mullenweg on, uh, WordPress and his ambition for the platform, you know, it's an open source project, but I think that's irrelevant to this point is that he said he wants the revenue of WordPress to be less than 5% of the value that WordPress creates for the world. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, it was in true revenue dollars. And I think, you know, there's a similar path here. It's like, yeah, there's going to be platforms for this sort of stuff. But if those platforms become 90% of the profit margin, you know, eat up 90% of the profit margin of these businesses, they're going to just disappear because they're not going to be useful to anyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, while people might worry about, oh, Microsoft is going to open, uh, you know, own all the AI capability. If it's not at a competitive price, people just won't use it. So I think it's going to be okay from that, that point of view. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it, it's going to be one of those things as well that like we're going to need, it's an industry that's going to require a lot of investment to get yeah. it off the ground. And those people that do the investment should uh, like be exposed to the potential payoff from it. And we'll probably end up in a world where there is like a, like an app store environment where not, I don't want to say the app store for X because it just annoys me, but a world where they're like someone put a fundamental amount of investment of research into creating the base layer and people were able to work off the top of that and we'll have wonderful companies created off the top of that that yeah, kind of grows, grows the size so. of the pie for everyone. Yeah, 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 I definitely hope so. And, you know, we'll probably have some aggressive revenue models that we'll get pushed back on and eventually we'll settle on something that, yeah. you know, the market will determine is the price that AI services as a platform should be. And we're, and we're already seeing it. Like, look at Dali. They, like giving, they went from, like, limited access to 50 free tokens. Yeah, exactly. And chat GPT, which is like for free forever, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're going to put Sorry, some price the, in there. The UX, the UX layer. <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah, muck yeah, around yeah. layer. Yeah. 
All good, mate. I'm glad we talked about that because that took us to basically exactly 60 minutes, which Perfect. is a very, very Perfect. strict metric in KPI we run here at High Output AI. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, only the true legends will have stuck with us over the 60-minute mark. Yeah, well, uh, we, as, as we've discussed, everyone just wants to find out what we're drinking. We should put that at the end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now this is where we pull out the good drinks uh, and bring everybody back to the show. No, but yeah, exactly. Look, thank you for anyone that stuck around this episode and, and previous episodes. It's uh, great to have you here. Uh, it's so awesome. You know, we've started to have some people reach out to us. Uh, we might touch on that a little bit more in a future episode, but absolutely. If you want to talk to us, please do. Uh, it's awesome to hear that people are enjoying the show and getting value out of it. Uh, and it's a lot of fun for us and hopefully it is fun for you as well. Next episode, we will be doing our review episode as well. So if you have any questions that you want us to cover or thoughts or your favorite moment from 2022 when it comes to AI machine learning or what what was your favorite drink in 2022, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch on it on the show. But yeah, appreciate everybody's uh, listening, subscribing, reviewing. Keep doing those things and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you're liking this content, make sure you subscribe and like so we keep on going. And if you have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, join our Discord, or leave them in the comments below. Thanks again.